You are listening to the Gable Media Continuing Education Podcast Feed, the most entertaining and convenient way for AEC professionals to get continuing education credits, including AIA-approved courses. As a Gable member, just listen and follow the link in the show notes to take a brief quiz and obtain your credit today. Enjoy. I have a confession to make. I love flying on airplanes. Every time we speed down the runway and the wheels lift off the ground, I get giddy. We're in the air. We're flying. Something in my brain is saying, we're not supposed to be doing this. I may fly to go visit my mom. Sometimes I fly with my family for vacation, but most of the time when I board an airplane, it's so that I can go speak at a conference or meet with a client. And if you've flown just once in the past 10 years, for whatever the reason, you've heard a flight attendant give everyone the same safety instructions that I've heard. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard flight 2998 bound for Atlanta, Georgia with continued service to Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport. All carry-on items should now be stowed securely, either in an overhead bin or under the seat in front of you. All aisles, exits, and bulkhead areas should now be clear. All electronic devices should now be turned off and stowed as they may interfere with the aircraft's navigation and communication. I'm Jeff Eccles, and you're listening to Episode 2 of the Build Your Brand Podcast. Build Your Brand is the podcast miniseries where I explore how the best brands in the world think differently and act differently on their way to becoming the best and what you can learn from them because no matter the size, the journey is the same. Miss the first episode, you can go back and listen to all the episodes in order. Over the past two years, I've heard that safety announcement almost 100 times. That's right, I've flown on close to 50 flights both of the past two years. Now, I know there's a really good chance that you haven't flown that much. I get it, it's expensive. There can be some real logistical challenges involved if you don't live near a major airport. And you may not need to travel long distances in a short time. You may even like seeing the sights as you drive through the countryside. But what if you lived in, let's say, Texas, a giant state with major cities spread far apart? And what if you did need to get from, say, Dallas to San Antonio on a regular basis? For many of us in the United States, and certainly in smaller countries across the globe, it's hard to comprehend what it takes to get from Dallas, Texas to San Antonio, Texas. Steve Croft summed it up pretty well on 60 Minutes way back in 1989. What Southwest passengers do get is fairly simple. Flights that leave on time and are frequent enough for a businessman to have breakfast in Dallas, lunch in Houston, an afternoon meeting in Austin, and be back home for supper. Where I live in Indianapolis, Indiana, I can drive in any direction, cross two states, and if I head northeast, even make it to Canada in the distance between Dallas and San Antonio. In 1966, the year Herb Kelleher and Roland King founded Southwest Airlines in Dallas, most anyone from the college kid headed back to school, to the family traveling to grandma's for Thanksgiving, even to the businessman running late for a meeting with a client, they'd all drive or ride the bus for two or 300 miles between major cities in Texas. Flying was for the elite. 
It was expensive, inaccessible, and under the tight control of a small handful of nationwide airlines. In fact, when Herb and Rollin launched Southwest, Americans, on average, took less than one flight per year. The majority of us at that time had never even been on board an airplane unless we were wearing a khaki uniform and a parachute. In his book, It's Not What You Sell, It's What You Stand For, Roy Spence tells it like this. Herb conceived of the idea of Southwest Airlines with Roland King one night in San Antonio. As the legend goes, it started as a simple triangle scribbled on a napkin from Dallas to Houston to San Antonio and back to Dallas. At that time, it was a highly regulated industry and Braniff and other airlines had a monopoly on routes and fare structures. Their incredibly high cost structures resulted in expensive fares that were only accessible to the elite. And as a result, only 15% of the American public had ever flown. Herb and Rollin decided to single-handedly deregulate the industry and create a low-cost, efficient airline that would make flying affordable for people of all walks of life. Their clear purpose, although they hadn't yet articulated it as such, was to give people the freedom to fly. In essence, to democratize the skies. They may be in the airline business, but their true purpose is to give people the freedom to fly. For Herman Rollin, the very purpose for starting Southwest, beginning with connecting cities in Texas, was about helping people move about the country, making life easier for the average American, bringing us together by giving people the freedom to fly. They wanted to bring air travel to 85% of Americans that had never flown. So why am I telling you this? Herman Rollin could have focused their efforts simply on competing with the major players of the time by undercutting their expensive fares, which they did. They could have focused on making air travel more accessible by simplifying routes, which they did. But Herman Rollin focused instead on something different. They grew Southwest Airlines from a purpose, a DNA that focused not on their competitive advantages, not on their personality, not on their superior service, but on what mattered most to their customer. Even in the face of fierce competition and, believe it or not, anti-competition legislation and crippling fees, the Southwest Airlines' purpose has remained connected to their customer through empathy. There's an aspect of neuroscience that particularly interests me because I think that if we embrace its lessons, it will change the way that we communicate. I think Southwest Airlines embraces this lesson. No matter how much the human brain has changed and evolved over the generations of our existence, there's still a singular core function. Survival. It makes me think about the flight attendant safety instructions. If there is a drop in cabin pressure, panels above your seat will open, revealing oxygen masks. If this happens, pull a mask towards you until the tube is fully extended. Place the mask over your nose and mouth, slip the elastic strap over your head, and adjust the mask if necessary. Breathe normally and note that oxygen is flowing, even if the bag doesn't inflate. Be sure to adjust your own mask before helping others. Basically, if you don't survive, you're no good to anyone. Your brain knows that survival is the only option. And because of this, everything is viewed through a lens that's marked, what's in it for me? It makes us fundamentally self-centered. 
This is why listening to someone talk about themselves is such a turnoff. It's why when an airline talks about lower fares, bonus miles, and more destinations, we shop around. And it's why it's not compelling when an architecture firm talks about our people, our expertise, or our collaborative process. All of these things leave us wondering, what's in it for me? This is what I like to call ego versus empathy. Because of the way our brains are hardwired, when we start out a conversation or when our website talks about us, what's so good about us, what we think matters the most, aka ego, we start out in direct conflict with the other person, or in this case, our website visitor's brain. They're asking, what's in it for me? But when we start from a place of empathy, what matters the most to the other person, we start out in alignment with their brain. We're beginning the conversation with what's in it for them. The fact that Southwest's guiding purpose is based on the idea of giving people the freedom to fly, empathy, not just the lowest fares and superior service, ego, is a good example of this, and it guides everything that Southwest does. In one legendary story, Herb Kelleher had to squeeze every drop of guidance he could from that purpose to thwart a credible threat from Muse Airlines in the 1980s. As the story goes, Lamar Big Daddy Muse was the president of Southwest Airlines, but the board voted down his expensive expansion plans because they didn't meet the purpose of the organization and, in fact, threatened Southwest's very viability. Muse left Southwest in a huff and eventually launched Muse Airlines as a direct competitor. In the midst of the competitive threat and all the attention and press that Big Daddy's airline was stirring up, Herb had a hard time convincing Southwest leadership to stick to their guns and the purpose of giving people the freedom to fly. I'll let our correspondent, Don Porta, explain why. Lamar didn't seem to buy into many of the things that allowed Southwest to keep fares low and make easy connections. So when the board voted him down, he left to start his own airline, which he named after himself. So Big Daddy had a beef? Yes, Big Daddy had a beef and he was determined to show up everything that made Southwest Southwest. He thought he could fight what he called the fast paced cattle car image with elegance and sophistication with and I'm quoting, first-class service at bargain basement prices. He bought fancier airplanes, had assigned seats, and promised to slow the boarding process down. Even gave a free bottle of champagne to every passenger in a middle seat. How did Southwest Airlines respond to this? Well, at first the board wanted to upgrade and change the way they did things. They even voted to put some of these things in place, but Herb Kelleher overruled them. Herb held the line? Well, he knew that Southwest couldn't do the things they did. They couldn't give people the freedom to fly in the same way if they made these changes. He also knew the airline industry really well and knew that first-class service with bargain basement prices wouldn't work. So ultimately, Herb convinced the other Southwest leaders to stay the course and focus on what made their airline special to their customers. What happened to Big Daddy and Muse Airline? Well, as it turns out, Herb was right. First class service and bargain basement prices don't go together. 
Muse sputtered for about three years before Southwest Airlines acquired them and eventually shut them down. Well, that's poetic. Thanks, Dawn. You're welcome, Jeff. That's correspondent Dawn Porta, who you'll hear from from time to time on the Build Your Brand podcast. And I should note that as interesting as Herb Kelleher's and the Southwest Airlines origin story is, in this episode, you've heard just a few excerpts amongst the several books and hundreds of articles written about it, but you won't hear Southwest Airlines talk about it. The story isn't on their website, and it's not part of their marketing campaigns. So my question for you is this. If one of the best-known and best-loved brands in the world that has one of the most compelling backstories in the corporate world doesn't tell that story verbatim on an About Us page, why do you? Why is it that almost every architect on the planet has an About Us page that tells the origin story of the firm or talks about their people, their process, and their expertise? What does it say to a potential client when they click on your website and there's nothing but information about you and how good you are? Have you ever heard someone say that we should write at an eighth grade level? If we want our articles and emails and our websites to be understandable and compelling, we should write them so that an eighth grader can understand them. Well, I wanted to put that idea to the test. So throughout the Build Your Brand podcast, I'll ask students from Miss Moyer's 8th grade language arts class at Raymond Park Middle School in Indianapolis to tell me what they think about different websites and marketing campaigns. So let me ask you a question. Do you ever have trouble getting people to understand you? Yes, lots of lots of heads nodding, right? Right. So I spent a long time in the architecture world. I work with architecture firms all over the place, and there's a real big problem that they all have. It's the same problem that engineers have, and attorneys have, and accountants have, and all kinds of people that are these professional people. They have trouble communicating, and one of the reasons is because they're experts. That sounds weird, right? They're experts in what they do. They're highly educated in what they do. They know more about what they do than anybody else. And most of them have trouble communicating for that very reason, right? They assume, hey, everybody knows what I know. There's, there's this, this idea of the curse of knowledge. Miss Moyer broke us out into small groups, and I showed our eighth grade experts examples I had pulled from websites. I had prepared for this moment, but it was a little nerve-wracking. What were they going to say? Would they say anything? They were all really quiet when I was talking to the whole class, so would they even be interested in what I had pulled together for them to look at? As it turns out, they were interested, and eventually they had a lot to say. You'll hear from Miss Moyer's class on and off throughout the entire season, but for now, I wanted them to imagine that they were going to hire an architect. Has everybody got their imagination on where they're, they're a CEO or someone that's going to hire an architect for some reason? Yes. 
I looked at websites from architects from all around the world, and I pulled photographs and videos. I pulled text from home pages and About Us pages. If they were going to hire an architect, what would these eighth graders want to know? What would they notice about all these architects' websites? What if we look at what some of the sites, some of the websites say? Can somebody read this for us? Go ahead. Founded in 2003 with a simple mission, combining quality design with unparalleled service. For more than a decade, we've done just that. Our team designs retail, franchise, corporate, medical, mixed-use, and industrial spaces for businesses across the nation. We do new builds as well as remodels and interior space build-outs. And we have expertise in green building and historic preservation. What about this one? Since 1976, Associates has been creating functional and meaningful spaces that meet the complex needs of our communities and improving lives through design. Your success is our number one priority. We become your dedicated partner, offering our expertise and experience to fully realize your goals. Does that sound a lot different than the other one, or does it sound a lot like the other one? Sounds similar. Similar. Sounds similar. All right, who's, who's going to read this one? Since 1961, has provided design and service excellence for the benefit of our clients, our people, our community, and our environment. We focus on enhancing and contributing to our, contributing to our clients through a culture of mutual respect, collaboration, and trust. Our collaborative, people-focused design approach, in, integrated with cutting-edge design technology, ensures that our designs express our client's unique story in a lasting and meaningful way. Okay, does that one sound a lot different than the others or are they still all pretty similar? Similar. Similar. What do you notice that's similar about all of these? They all talk about <coughs> how they're going to work for you and help you. They all, and they all serve like their mission and backstory. Okay. They show when they started. Do every single one of them, right? So, if you were a CEO of a hospital corporation and you were going to hire an architect to design a new building, by reading one of those, could you make a choice? No. No. There it was. The very first thing I wondered was, even when a firm tells its story, starting from when it was founded. Is that enough to help a client decide to hire them? No. The 8th graders said no. They said they all sound the same, even when they tell their own unique story. If we take a cue from an airline that, like architects, faces fierce competition from the same competitors day in and day out, that, like architects, is often saddled with intense rules and regulations, that like many architects, is loved by many, but that's not the choice of many others. Maybe we can communicate or even run our businesses in a different way, in a way that's focused with empathy on what matters most to our customers and not on why we think we're the best. The eighth graders even told us that the story that's all about us 
sounds just like our competitor's story that's all about them. Maybe we should be telling a different story. Before I wrap up this episode, I have to say thank you to our sponsors. Without their support, the Build Your Brand podcast wouldn't be possible. And a special thank you to Miss Moyer's 8th graders at Raymond Park Middle School in Indianapolis, Indiana for their unbridled candor and enthusiasm. Join me in the next episode of the Build Your Brand podcast as I dig deeper into empathy and the neuroscience behind how Southwest Airlines understands what matters most to their customers, how they tell those stories, and what Miss Moyer's 8th graders think about what architects are selling.